Uh, it is graduation season. I think we're done, um, but it's been graduation season. I have attended five graduations over the past month, and I don't say that as a complaint. It has been awesome how many people we've had here in our church graduating from high school and college. Uh, now, I say I attended five graduations. I attended the first one virtually because I was sick and I was not able to travel down and see Dustin. I graduated from, with, from Welch with his MDiv, but I did see him walk across the stage on a screen, not quite the same as being there. Then after that, I got to see Caitlin graduate uh, from USI. Then I got to see Kaylee and Kiera graduate at Boonville. I saw Liam graduate from New Tech. And then I saw Kaylee Garrett graduate from Evansville Christian School. And it's an exciting thing to see God working in each of these people's lives and for them to go on to their next season. I noticed something that was a common denominator at all of the high school graduations then. At some point in the service, there was a mention of the amount of money that had been won by that class or by a group of students in the form of scholarships. And every time there was this, this mention of students winning scholarships, everybody would clap or cheer or, you know, uh, at the Christian school, amen. You know, uh, weren't a whole lot of amens at the Boonville High School graduation. Uh, there were some, um, but, but people responded because we love the story that the word scholarship tells, right? Now, if, if they had said, hey, before we get started with the graduation, we just want to let you know that some organizations have decided to give some other organizations money, it probably would not have been as exciting, right? Now, basically, that's what a scholarship is, right? Some nonprofit organization has decided to give a school and other organization money. What makes it exciting for us is we know that that organization is helping a student go to school. And we get excited because that student has excelled in academics or they have excelled in athletics. And scholarships are a big deal in our culture. There are people that are working hard to get scholarships while they're still in elementary school and middle school. There are parents that right now have driven miles and miles and miles to watch their kid play a soccer game, and they're telling themselves that it's all an investment so that one day they can get a scholarship. We love the idea of a scholarship because it tells us a story about money. Money is something that we're often uncomfortable talking about. The title of this sermon series is Don't Talk About Money. Because we often get uncomfortable when money is spoken of. But the reality is that we love a good story about money. We love a good story about someone winning some money, right? We love a good story about someone deserving, receiving some money. Because just like everything else in our life, when it comes to money, we crave stories that give meaning to money. Andrew Del Banco, who is, uh, is a professor uh, at Columbia, he wrote a book about the American dream, and, and he said this in the book. He said, human beings need to organize the inchoate, which I didn't know what that meant, so I looked it up, and it means formless. So human beings need to organize the formless or shapeless or meaningless sensations in which we pass our days, pain, desire, pleasure, fear, we need to organize them into a story. 
And when that story leads somewhere and thereby helps us navigate through life to its inevitable end in death, it gives us hope. It helps us feel like there's meaning in everything that's happening. Have you ever been uh, watching a show or a movie or reading a book and you're, you just want to go, where is this going? What, what is happening? I, I remember years ago there was this television show that was on. I mean, it just it had me fascinated. It was a show called Lost. And all these crazy things were happening, right? And I tuned in every week, like, we're going to find answers. Why is there a polar bear on this deserted beach island? Why is there a monster that looks like smoke? And you know what happens? Spoiler alert, all right, if you're planning to tune in. They don't answer any of those questions. They were just writing stuff. There's actually been some of the memos among the writers that have, like, have been unearthed years later, and they said, like, listen, we, we, we have all the cards on the table. We can write whatever it is that we want. And they had no plans of, like, wrapping this all up in a pretty bow. Now, at first, it was really engaging. All these crazy things were happening. But as time went on, it was like, I don't think they have a plan. I don't think this means anything. It doesn't come together. And in life, if we feel like life is just stuff happening, it's just random acts of chaos, we grow frustrated and weary. If we feel like there's no author writing a grand story, we feel like we're just spinning our wheels. Dabanko went on to say this, we must imagine some end to life that transcends our own tiny allotment of days if we are to escape the lurking suspicion that all of our getting and spending amounts to nothing more than fidgeting while we wait for death. I think one of the reasons that we grow uncomfortable when people talk about money is that we don't want anyone to mess with the story we've told ourselves about money. Now, it might be that you've heard a story your whole life. It might be a story of scarcity, a story that there's not enough to go around, a story that if other people are receiving something, that means you're missing out. And that's the way you view the world. It might be that you've received a, a story uh, that, is, that is proposed, that is, that is constantly repeated by the left side of our political industry, that the reason you don't have enough is because there are greedy Americans who are taking it all for themselves. It might be that the story you have held on to was the story that is, is pro promoted by the right who says the reason you don't have enough is that the left taxes all of it away from you. And you have some story that you have told yourself, that you have repeated, the reason I'm not happy, or I don't have enough, or I don't have peace, is that this is going on. Or maybe the story you've been told is that if you just get a little bit more, then you'll be happy. You see, we often clutch to the story we've told ourselves or been told about money, even if the story we've been told is unsatisfying and meaningless, because it's ours. How many of you had a favorite blanket when you were a little child, right? And if you did, like I did, 
I'm going to guess that at some point you became so attached to it and you, you loved it so much and you had such fond memories of it that long after it had outlived its usefulness, you continued to use it, right? Like you are way too tall for this blanket to cover you. Right? And life has worn that blanket thin. Now it has holes all in it. It's ratty. But you still clutched to it right? because it gave you a sense of warmth and security. Even though we could no longer practically provide that to you, it gave you a sense of it. Some of you might still have your blanket from when you were a kid. right? And it's just threads now. It's falling apart. I'm afraid that some of you have been told or have told yourselves a story about money, and even though it is worn thin, and even though it does not provide you with satisfaction or security, you clutch onto it because it gives you a sense of security. Today we're talking about money, and it's not because I want something from you. We're talking about money because I want something for you. I want you to have a true sense of security and meaning. But if you feel yourself clutching on to the story you've been told, I want you to think of that like me offering you a beautiful, nice blanket, a quilt. And you say, I'm good. I'm good with this ratty old child's blanket that I have. I want you to have a true sense of security and meaning. I want you to know that there is more to life than stuff. I want you to be a part of a grand, meaningful story that gives hope. And today, I want you to know that you're rich. I've got great news. You're rich. Let's look at Luke 12 together. This section that we're going to be focused on kicks off in verse 13. When a man in the crowd asked Jesus to get involved in a family squabble. Verse 13 says, then one from the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So Jesus is teaching about the kingdom. Jesus is doing powerful miracles, right? And this guy says, Jesus, can you tell my brother to give me my portion of the inheritance? And before we come down on this guy too hard, think about if you were in this guy's shoes, right? You've just seen Jesus do miracles, You've seen Jesus teach, and he has authority, and you're thinking to yourself, man, if there's anybody that can convince my brother to let go of some money, it's this miracle worker guy, right? Some of you have a brother like this that is so stingy that the only way that they would ever be generous is if there was a miracle. And so he says, Jesus, can you help me out? By the way, this guy is just doing what we often do. We hear about Jesus, and we think, man, Jesus is powerful, And Jesus could really make my life better if he could fix everyone else around me, right? Man, if Jesus could fix my spouse, my life could be pretty great. If Jesus could fix my kids, if if Jesus could fix our country, if Jesus could fix our economy, and we regularly want to point Jesus towards the problems in our world, and Jesus says, I'll get to that, but let's start with you. And that's what he does to this guy. Jesus says, and I'm, am, am I an arbitrator between you? And he goes on to say, be careful of greed and covetousness. Jesus does what he often did. 
he redirects the subject back to that person's heart. He doesn't settle the dispute between this man and his brother. He points back at that man's heart. And listen, we could have long conversations over lunch today about what's broken in our country or broken in our economy. This morning, I'm not here to fix any of that. I'm here to give you the words of Jesus, and they direct right back at your heart and mine. Jesus constantly points back to our hearts. And because of that, Jesus ends up talking about money a lot. Because money is a good indication of where our hearts are at. He'll end this section by saying, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus talks about money more than he talks about heaven or hell. Jesus talks about money more than he talks about sexuality. Jesus talks more about money than he does about temples or churches. Jesus talks about money more than just about any other subject. Why? Because it's something that we all deal with. And it's a major reflection of our hearts. So then Jesus tells us the story of a rich fool. He tells us the story of a man whose crops do really good one year. And so he tells himself what I'll do. I don't have enough barns to hold all of these crops. I never expected I would have this many crops. So what I'll do is I'll use those crops to tear down those barns and I'll build bigger barns. He says this is an opportunity to expand. This is an opportunity for growth. And then when I have bigger barns and I've got a bigger farm and I'm bringing in more crops, then I will say to myself, will say to my soul, take your ease and be at peace. And Jesus tells us that this man is a fool because God tells him, your soul will be required of you this evening. And whose will be these bigger barns, this farm? You see, what this rich man says to himself is the same thing that we all say. If I can just get a little bit more, then I'll be at peace then I'll feel like I have enough. Hear me, hear me. It's never enough. It's never enough. You will never have enough to feel at peace or at ease. And some of you, you don't have any money. And you said, if I could just get some money, I wouldn't have anything to worry about. You know what we found out? We found out that people who do have money, they still worry about getting more money and they also worry about losing the money they have. When you have more money, your worries actually increase because now you're worried about the money you got. <laughs> There's a reason that the rapper said, more money, more problems. Because it's true. More money means more worries. Actually, what he said is the more money we come across, the more problems we see. This man has his best year, his best year his crops have ever done, and his immediate thought is more, more. God says this man is a fool because his soul would be required of him, and then whose things will these be? Look at verses 20 to 21. God said to him, fool, 
This night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I'm afraid that some of you, you're listening to this and you're like, man, that rich man, he's crazy. He was so foolish. I would not be like that. If I had received more, I'd be happy with it. And you don't, you don't place yourself here because you don't own a farm. You think, if I could just get a raise, then I would be happy. Let me, let me tell you, friend, what we have seen again and again, if you haven't personally experienced it yet, you will one day, is that whenever you receive more, you just want more. Gallup did a survey, and they asked people, how much money do you need to make a year to be rich? And the answer was dependent upon how much money people were making right then. So people who made about $30,000 a year, they said on average to be rich, you need to make $74,000 per year. People who make $50,000 per year, they said on average you need to make $100,000 or more per year. But then they asked people who make $100,000 or more per year. You know what they said? They said $5 million is how much you would need to be rich. You see what's happening? The more you get, the more you feel like you need. The more you have, the more you feel like you have to have. You know, I, I read this, I, I feel sorry for people. They're making more than those in the lower bracket think you need to make to be rich, but they still feel like they're further away from being rich. What I know about you without asking you, is that you probably don't feel rich. Because all of us, apparently, think that being rich is having a little bit more or a lot of bit more. Friend, I want you to know this morning that you're rich. And I want to show you two reasons that right now, this very moment, with whatever it is that you have in your bank account, right now, you're rich. Number one, you live in the most prosperous nation in the world. Three billion people live on less than $2 per day in our world. I spent more than $2 in the amount of gas that I burned today driving here because I forgot something and I had to go back. And right then, I've spent an entire day's wages for more, for most of the entire world. I don't know your financial situation. I don't know how much money you have in monthly income, but I'm betting that because you live here, you have access to more than the majority of the world. Just by living here, you were in the top 50%. But you don't feel rich because you compare the amount of money that you have or that you earn to what you see on Facebook or Instagram or on television. And I, I experienced this when I was a teenager. I did not think that my family was rich. 
because I was incredibly embarrassed that when I would ask my mom for new clothes for school, we would go to the disabled veterans thrift store, which was around the corner from our house. It was a thrift store that sold used clothing and then donated the money to disabled veterans. I was embarrassed as a high schooler that here, all of these people at my school, they have these brand new clothes that you see on the mannequins in the mall. And when my family wanted new clothes, we went and we bought the clothes that those people gave away and got rid of. I thought, my family is so poor. We are so broke. And then when I was a sophomore in high school, I went to Monterey, Mexico on a missions trip. And I realized just how wealthy I was. There was one day we were, we were there and we had been doing work for this church. And every day the streets were just full of people, um, you know, talking, shopping, playing soccer in the streets. But one day we came back from this work we were doing and there was just nobody anywhere. It was a ghost town. And we started wandering around. We figured out the reason there was, it was, there was a major soccer match on. And the reason we figured this out is because there was a house and there were people all around this house looking in the windows. Because not all of them had a TV. And they were all crowded around this really small TV, the kind of TV I would have seen at the disabled American veterans thrift store watching this soccer match. And, and I didn't watch it because I didn't know who the people were and it would have been horrible for me to keep someone from watching this game And I thought, man, the rich guy in their neighborhood is the one that had that old beat-up television so they could watch the soccer match. I had a, suddenly I had a different perspective on how much money my family had because I was put in a different situation. You think that you're not rich because you're looking at the lifestyles of the rich and famous on your Instagram feed and Facebook. You are rich, practically one, because you live in America. But I want you to see an even more important way that you're rich. Look at verse 22. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. And Jesus can say this. It's not just saying, don't worry about it. Akuna matati, you know, what will be, will be, kesarasara. This isn't like, just forget about it. No, Jesus says, don't worry about it, because he's going to do something about it. And then he gives two examples. He mentions flowers in the field and birds of the air. And he says that neither of these creatures spend their days toiling and worrying about whether or not they'll have food to eat or raiment to wear. And God looks after them and provides them with everything that they need. And Jesus says, and if God can do that for them, how much more will he do for you? And then he tells us how much more. Look down at verse 29. Do not seek what you should eat or drink or have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you have need of these things. But seek the kingdom of God and all of these shall be added unto you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. 
Friend, you're rich because you live in a land of prosperity, and you're rich because God wants to give you the kingdom. Jesus says, don't worry about anything else. Don't give your life to the constant pursuit of more. Don't spend your life running after this finish line that's constantly moving, that when you're at 30,000, you think you need 74,000. You get to 50,000, suddenly the finish line is at 100,000. You get to 100,000, now it's at millions. It just gets further and further and further away. Do not spend your life chasing this moving finish line. Rather, pursue the kingdom. Because the kingdom will not always be out of your reach. Rather, the Lord wishes to give you the kingdom. It is his pleasure to do so. You say, well, uh, Pastor Dan, what's that? Well, the last two Sundays we've talked about it. Pastor Eric has done an incredible job two Sundays ago of making it clear the kingdom is not only heaven one day, but it's the work of God in our lives today. And then last Sunday, Pastor Dustin made it clear to us that God's just not building a kingdom that's about an organization, but he's building people and connecting them to one another. That is the kingdom that he desires to give to us. And it is greater than anything that this world has to offer. There are people who have all of the riches in the world, and they are still not satisfied in their craving what can only be found in the kingdom. The kingdom that God wants to give us, that he does give there was an article uh, some years ago and they conducted a survey and they asked people what would you do what would you be willing to do for five million dollars i want you to think about that what would you be willing to do for five million dollars one of the one of the questions was would you be willing to listen to only country music for the rest of your life 54 percent said they would do that for five million dollars and i thought what a horrible deal there's just no way I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Please don't come after me after the service, right? 42% of people said they would have all of their teeth removed for $5 million. I mean, I guess if you have $5 million, you can buy a really good set of dentures. 24% of people said they would live in total solitude for 20 years for $5 million. The results are, are, are a surprising. Perhaps the most heartbreaking one is that about half of people said that they would be okay with someone they did not know dying so that they could have $5 million. I think the results would have been very different if the question was not, what would you do so that you could get $5 million, but what would you do so that you could give someone else $5 million? Because what Jesus has demonstrated to us in his life and death is what he was willing to do to give us the kingdom. Jesus said, it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, and those are not idle words. Because he has demonstrated that it is his desire to give us the kingdom. In fact, he has paid a great price in giving of his son so that we can have the kingdom. He paid a great price. It's for this reason Paul says in Corinthians, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. God paid the price so that we can have 
the kingdom. And friend, this month, when we talk about generosity and we talk about money, we must realize that our generosity is inspired by the greatest act of generosity that was ever given and that Christ gave himself for us. Doesn't matter how much you have, if you give it all, you will never outgive God who has already given all for you. You're rich because God has given all so that you might have the kingdom of God. So you're rich. Now what? I'm sure we've all played that game. You drive by that billboard that has the number of how many millions of dollars the current lottery is, and you think, if I won that, this is what I'd do. And, and I've had people tell me, Pastor Danny, if I win this half pot, I'm giving a big donation to the church. If I won the lottery, I would be so generous, Pastor Danny. You know what we know to be true? If you're ge not generous with what you have now, you will not be more generous. You'll actually be less generous if you have more. The Bible makes it clear that God won't give us more if we're not faithful with what he has given us now. Because he knows that we demonstrate our faithfulness and our generosity with what we have at this present moment. And friend, you have been given so much. You have so much. If you're not generous right now, you won't be generous when you have a little bit more. Because that, that finish line just keeps getting further and further away. The more you have, the less rich you'll feel. That'll prompt you to be less generous as well. Jesus makes it clear that we are already rich and that God wants to give us the kingdom. And then he gives us an immediate command in verse 33. Look at it. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I, I want you to think about the way Jesus demonstrated this in his life. And, and this is hard because Jesus was not rich. Jesus did not have a lot of money. He didn't even have a place to lay his head. He didn't own a home. He depended on the generosity of strangers for a place to stay, or he slept out in an open field. He did not accrue to himself great wealth. So he was not wealthy in money. He was not wealthy in the way that the world often considers someone wealthy. But he was wealthy in one regard. He was wealthy in power and glory. And think about the way that he used that. There was never a moment where Jesus said, hey guys, watch this. Right? He never shot fire from his fingers. He never made mountains turn somersaults. He never showed off. He has this great wealth of power and majesty and glory. And what does he use it for? To help the hurting. To feed the hungry. To raise the dead back to life. What Jesus invested his power, his wealth of power and majesty in, was undoing the effects of the curse of sin undoing the brokenness 
of the world around him. He didn't use his power to show off. And the miracles give us verification that he is who he says that he is, but he invested his power where his heart was in alleviating the suffering and hurting and brokenness of people. He put his treasure where his heart was and the lives of people. Just recently, my, one of my childhood friends, Justin, a good friend of mine, I, I went over to his house many times when we were in junior high and high school. His parents were incredibly hospitable. I don't know why they constantly let us come over to his house and swim in his pool and spend the night at his house and get in trouble again and again and again, but they were very hospitable. And Justin just recently posted that his, that his mother is selling her home. And I, I go by houses every day. I, I drove by several on my way here. I see listings for homes that are for sale, and I, I really don't take notice of them. But this one I took notice of, and I went and I scrolled through the pictures because that house had meaning for me. It was a place where I had been welcomed. After I went to college and I was back and I was making my way through school, his parents remodeled that house and they actually hired me to work and helping them do this remodel. I had not only been welcomed there, I had worked there. And because of that, that, that home had meaning for me. This world will tell you that money will bring you happiness, that it'll help your life have meaning, and it's a lie. You'll find the most meaning in investing your heart and your treasure and your time in the kingdom of God because it lasts forever. You know, next time I go to Virginia Beach, that home will belong to someone else. It'll be passed on to some other family, making their own memories there. It's a house that they've lived in for years, but even that is temporary. Friends, don't put your life's energy and your resources and your treasure into things that are temporary. Put your life your treasure, your time, even your money into what is eternal, the kingdom of God. There is no greater way for us to find meaning than through the kingdom of God. There is no greater way for us to invest and place our hearts in the kingdom of God than giving of ourselves, our time, our treasure to what matters. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.